I came across a sign, um, I think I just saw it, um, on the internet, a sign on a very barren highway with nothing around it but wilderness and nothing for miles and miles and miles down the road. And the sign, I love what it said, the sign simply said, absolutely nothing next 22 miles. Now there is an honest road sign, absolutely nothing next 22 miles. But yet, maybe there is something. You know, the wilderness is often a contradiction. It's both a place of barrenness, it's a place of beauty. It's this place of disengagement from the world where we feel lonely, but it's also a place of engagement with ourselves. The wilderness can be a place of struggle, but a place of triumph, overcoming great odds and personal obstacles. I've been in these wilderness places before. I've driven through the San Bernardino Desert for about two or three hours from Needles, California to Barstow, California. And you think it's just never, never going to end. It's just one straight road with nothing for miles. But then all of a sudden you look around you and there's this beauty to it. And you just can't take your eyes off the surroundings. So in many ways we avoid the wilderness, but yet we're sort of drawn to it. Now, the theme of wilderness doesn't get much play in the spiritual journey or in our understanding. I think that may be due to the fact that we often want our spiritual journey that doesn't involve struggle or suffering or tough encounters with ourselves. We would much rather prefer a spiritual journey that gives quick answers, solves our problems right away, avoids the hard work of facing ourselves. But then what do we do when we face the wilderness times? Because we all have and we probably all will. Now, without a framework that sees these times as part of our spiritual journey, I think we miss a very deep part of our spiritual growth. Now, wilderness gets a fair amount of play in the scriptures, so there must be something of value. Now, think about it. The wilderness, a central part of the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Upon their liberation from slavery, they went for 40 years in the desert. Now, if you read that closely, they could have actually gone a much shorter way. The scripture tells us that God could have taken them a shorter way, but God knew the Israelites were not ready for the battles that lay ahead of them. So God took them by what he calls the roundabout way. So how much of our life often feels kind of in that roundabout way, a much longer way so we can be formed and shaped into the people of God, a people deep in trust and courage and faith. I think when I listen to that or when I read that, what I discover there are no shortcuts to spiritual and personal development. And God knows that. The Apostle Paul after his encounter with Christ, went away for approximately three years into the desert before he returned back with the other apostles. He entered this wilderness, took time to sort out this profound change and shift that had just occurred in his soul. Think about it. One moment, he's a leader of the Pharisees, rounding up Christians and murdering them. The next minute, he's laid flat on the ground by the presence of the living Christ, the presence of the resurrected Christ, which is more real to him than anything he has ever encountered. So in this wilderness time, this place for Paul to be, he moved from his old self to this new self. He moved from a murderer to a missionary. He moved from a devout Jewish leader to, and this star of the Pharisees to this devout follower of Christ and a missionary to the Gentiles. And even for Jesus, the wilderness plays a significant role in his forming and shaping. Immediately after Jesus hears these words, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, Rene read in the scripture, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. 
Now, this goes against the grain of everything we may think or I might think about the spiritual journey. But maybe it's a more realistic picture than I may even understand. So maybe what we begin to discover is that the spiritual journey is this tension in which our lives are squarely placed between knowing God's deep love and affirmation for us like Jesus as his children, as well as facing our temptations and our struggles. In fact, we might not be able to truly face our temptations and struggles if it weren't for the awareness of God's deep love and care and joy over us. The fact that I know God's love for me, the fact that I'm grounded in God's love, the fact that I keep reminding myself that God says to me, Scott, you are my child in whom I am well pleased. Then I'm able to look at myself honestly when I'm manipulative, when I'm rude, when I'm irritable, when I'm impatient, when I'm just, in the very biblical sense, a jerk. I'm able to look at it then in a very honest and real way. So facing our temptations doesn't mean we've strayed from God. On the contrary, friends, it may be that the Spirit leads us toward those moments in which our temptations need to be faced. It's in the facing of our temptations that we have honest encounters with ourselves and we become fully aware of what needs to change in our lives. This past uh, weekend, Linda and I did a little experiment with uh, social media. And we participated in this experience called Unplug from Sunset Friday to Sunset Saturday. Is that correct? Some of you may have seen it. The idea was to unplug from social media for 24 hours. And um, I think we said we could check emails because we have emails coming and going. And if our phone rang, we answered it because, of course, it's our main phone line. Um, and so we, we, we did that. And what was interesting to me, Saturday morning I woke up. I got the phone right beside my bed on our end table. And I have it plugged in. Of course, it's charging. It's there in case the phone rings at night. I rolled over, got up. The first thing I did was I reached for the phone to check my social media. And I thought to myself, I don't know. Some of you are going to have to tell me. But I thought maybe this is what it feels like. Waking up and the first thing you grab for in the morning is a pack of cigarettes and a smoke, because that's exactly what it felt like. And I held the phone for a few seconds, and I thought, nope, I'm going to put this down. I'm just going to let it sit here. And then I looked at it, I thought, Linda's still asleep. And I looked at the phone <laughs> one more time. And then I thought, nope, I'm just going to leave it here. There was that moment where I was faced with that reality you're more attached to this than you realize. You're more addicted to it than you realize. Did you know that on YouTube, there are one billion, with a B, there are one billion views a day on YouTube. We are a generation and a culture that is fascinated by the screen, but we have no regard for our soul. We are fascinated by this, but we have no awareness of what's going on inside of us. Princeton University President Craig Barnes, he writes about our attempts to manage our internal restless anxieties through our external world, and this is what he writes. Quote, since people are accustomed to exploring the mystery 
of their own, excuse me, since people are unaccustomed to exploring the mystery of their own souls, they will often work out their spiritual anxieties by attempting to rearrange something external. But it doesn't matter how many changes they make to the environment around them, they will never succeed in finding peace for the angst of the soul until they attend directly to it. In other words, we often, often avoid the mystery of our own soul. We often avoid the wilderness of our own soul. And we look for distractions to get around it, such as overwork or busyness or even religious activity or addictions or possessions or climbing the proverbial ladder of achievement and success or going from one relationship to the next. Whatever we try to do, our souls won't let us alone. They call out to us to pay attention. And the Spirit leads us into the wilderness where we are there to wrestle with our demons and all that tempts us to live in a much more diminished way than God would have us live. If you and I seek to follow in the way of Jesus, then I suspect we need to follow Him through His journey into the wilderness as well. Knowing that even we must wrestle with issues of control and power and who is in charge. Because Jesus wrestled with these temptations and He came through the wilderness utterly dependent upon God and we're invited to do the same. There's a book called A Season for the Spirit by uh, an Episcopal priest, Martin Smith. And he writes about a novel by Dorothy Sayers in which the priest offers up a rather incoherent but well-meaning prayer. And the prayer goes like this. Lord, teach us to take our hearts and look them in the face, however difficult it may be. And then Martin Smith adds this quote. Taking our hearts and looking them in the face is the essence of the wilderness experience. And I would add that Lent, this time of 40 days prior to Easter, is that time of year where we're invited to journey into the wilderness of our soul, of our life, and to look our hearts in the face, however difficult it may be. A time of self-reflection, a time of self-examination, a time of honestly looking at our hearts in the face and asking, who am I? Where am I headed? What do I want to become? Who do I want to become? And what is getting in the way? I want to offer this encouragement as we make that trek into the wilderness. First is this. Our wilderness experiences are not always intentional. They can be circumstantial. I get that. Struggles and hardships that are part of the texture of life. These wilderness periods can have names as anxiety, depression, broken relationships, Stale marriages, divorce, cancer, illnesses, chronic conditions, loneliness, laid off, out of work, bored, trying to find a deeper sense of purpose or trying to discover who you are spiritually and theologically, even grief. But whether they are intentional or whether we choose to enter a season of reflection, whether they are circumstantial or whether we are thrust into it due to life, we have the opportunity to utter the same prayer as that Dorothy Sayers novel, Lord Teach us to take our hearts, look them in the face, however difficult it may be. Who am I in the context of this moment? What is being pressed out of me? How do I respond? How do I act? What do I see? Also keep this reality in mind. The wilderness is not an aberration of the spiritual journey, but it is often a gift for the spiritual journey. And the gift is this. It is found in the experience of being able to encounter who we truly are in such a way that we can address what needs to be addressed. We have the group that meets occasionally Monday nights called Pilgrims of the Heart. Some of you are part of that group. 
And I challenged them and myself. I said, for 40 days, starting in Ash Wednesday and Lent, let's do this. Let's look at one thing in our life that we want to change. And let's add one spiritual practice in our life that will help us make that change. So I decided I'm not going to just have them do this. I'm going to participate too. So I wrote an email to the group. I said, okay, here's my thing. I am going to focus on being more patient during Lent. I'm not going to be, I'm going to focus on being more patient about not always having to have my own way. I'm going to focus on being patient about not always having to have things done when I want it to be done. I'm going to focus on being patient so I'm not always trying to manipulate things. I'm I'm going to focus on being patient so I can be present with people and life. Last night we went out to eat. Went to a restaurant that's pretty popular in town. Met family there. And Lynn and I got there about 20 minutes ahead. Walked into the restaurant. I said, I want to go ahead and put her name in. She said, how many? I said, five. What's your name? Scott Wagner. I said, how long will it be? She said, 55 minutes. I said, 15? She said, no, 55. I said, no, 15. (laughs) She said, it'll be 55 minutes. We'll call you. Deep breathe, Scott. Deep breathe. 55. So I went out, stood outside, and family there, and I thought, I'm just going to be present to the moment. I'm going to be present to what's here. I'm going to be present to life. I'm going to go back in and check and see how long it's going to take. So I went back in, <laughs> and I checked, and I said, do you, have, do you have us down there? How long is it now? She said, what's your name? I said, Wagner. She scrolled through her iPad. We don't have a Wagner. I literally grabbed it, and I said, it's got to be here somewhere, and so I scrolled it with her. She's, oh, I said, it's Scott. It's right there. She said, oh, yeah, it's Scott. It's about 20 minutes. Deep breathe, Scott. Go back outside again. All the while, though, I kept hearing in the back of my mind, this is what you signed up for. This is what you asked for. Live into it. Put on your big boy pants for Lent. This is what you needed to work on. Now, I'm not going to get into the mysteries of life. Did God bring that so that I could work on it? I don't know all about it. All I know is this. Whatever you choose, whatever you choose, life itself will bring you enough opportunities to work on it and pay attention to it. And here's the other thing I've learned. Denial, denial, and inattention to our soul, it is not a virtue. The wilderness sort of sheds us of our pretensions. It leaves us vulnerable to the truth of who we really are. And the wilderness offers us this gift in the form of stripping us of our self-sufficiency and defenses and opens us up to the transforming grace of God, which leads to this final reality. This wilderness is not a place outside of God's grace, but it is a place saturated in the grace of God. There's a passage that's found its way into my soul. It's Jeremiah 31.2. It was listed in your bulletin. And it reads this, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. I love that imagery. The people who survived the sword, they found grace in the wilderness. The sword, it can represent battle. It represents struggle. It represents hardship. So God says to those who have struggled, those who have faced their battles, those who have dealt with hardship, they will find grace In the wilderness, this wilderness will never be a place of defeat, but will always be a place of victory. Because even in our most difficult struggles, even in our most biggest battles, even in our toughest moments of testing, God's grace is always present, and God's grace always prevails. So your wilderness, it may have a name. It may have the name of illness. 
It may have the name of job struggle. It may have the name of marriage struggles. It may have the name of relationship struggles, addiction. It may even have the name of midlife, new season of life, a new chapter. Your wilderness may be a time of transition in which you feel disoriented. You've left the familiar. You're moving into the unfamiliar. Your wilderness may be a feeling of boredom, purposelessness, or staleness. It may even be your own decision to pull back from life to retreat in this intentional time of self-reflection and self-examination. Whatever form it takes, know this. And this is the really fascinating part. You're probably led there by the Spirit. I have to believe that the reason I chose patience wasn't just out of the blue. I have the reason when I opened myself to say, what will I be about? What will I listen to? The Spirit led me into that wilderness and said, I've got one for you here. Now, There'll be plenty of temptations to come along your way. But trust me, trust God, trust God's grace, because if you live into it, if you put your dependency on God, you will come out of it, hopefully, and I'm hoping on this, a much more present person who lives into life rather than tries to push life. And while you're there in that wilderness, as the phrase says, be willing to take your heart and look it in the face, however difficult it may be. If you're at peace with what you see, give thanks. If you're not at peace with what you see, know that God gives you and I the grace to change and become who God wants us to be. There's this wonderful Puritan prayer. I want to close with this. It goes like this, quote, Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the cross, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. And I would add this last one, that the struggle of the wilderness is the salvation of our souls. If I'm willing to enter it, if I'm willing to be present in it, if I'm willing to offer it up to God.